Christmas is coming. Did you know that? How many sleeps till Christmas? Where's Joe and Anna? 69. 69, 68. Lost Joe and Anna. They know. 69 sleeps, I think, till Christmas. And I don't know what your rituals are in your church, in, in your family. I don't know what you do. Growing up, my mum, around October half term, would gather the most insane amount of dried fruit and glacé cherries and the biggest bottle of brandy known to man. And we would all be involved in making the Christmas cake. Um, we'd wash our hands thoroughly, we were allowed to stir, we weren't allowed to pick any of it out and eat it, we weren't allowed to drink the brandy, quite honestly it was a little bit of a boring task, but we would, we would stir it all up and then my mum would put this big bowl of brandy soaked or sherry soaked fruit somewhere for a few days to really just soak And then over the weeks leading up to Christmas, she'd open the tin. We were all allowed to sniff it. It's probably the most unhygienic Christmas cake known to man. Uh, We were all allowed to sniff it. And then she would just poke it with little holes and we would feed the cake. We were allowed to feed the cake, like just drizzle a little bit of brandy or sherry over it and feed it. Uh, Mary Berry, the queen of cakes... She says you should do this every week, open the tin and give it a really good little dousing to make sure that when you bite into it on Christmas Day, it is moist and boozy and just yummy. I am a big fan of Christmas cake. I love it. But I've never made one myself because my mum always makes it every year. I kind of feel a little bit like I'd be saying to her, your Christmas cake is no longer any good for me. Stand aside, I will make my own. So I kind of feel like it's on a par with being very disrespectful to my mummy. However, this year I was like, I want to have a little try. I want to have a little go. So this year I'm going to make a cake. And I don't know if I'll use sherry or brandy, but I'll I'll use one of them. If anyone's got any top tips at the end, let me know. Uh, And I'm going to have fruit and I'm going to stir and I'm going to get my boys to have a go at stirring the pot. And, and just, and I will feed it and make sure it's really soaked. And I like my cake quite moist. I like it in between Christmas pudding and Christmas cake. I like it in the middle. So it's a little, when you put it on your plate, you could almost do with a fork to eat it. I am not a big fan of the marzipan. I think why? And also icing. I get that it looks pretty, but why waste space in your tummy on icing and marzipan when you can fill it with more cake. I I feel that way about cakes in general. The icing, I'm like, yeah, cake, I love. See, the, the tip for a great Christmas cake is to make sure it's fully soaked, make sure the fruit has plumped up to double its size, make sure it's really drenched in the booze, and then to make sure you feed it. If I'm honest, I think it's the key to living a decent Christian life too. I think we should be soaked, and we should be utterly drenched in the Holy Spirit, and then I think we should get the lid off our tin and regularly be fed. And that comes in all sorts of ways, I'm going to read to you a bit in the passage, and I want to stir us to be those kind of people that don't just know about Jesus and can read things out of our Bible and can answer questions, but that we actually, as we're walking around, if people take a poke at us or a bite of us or they're around us, they can smell him. 
they can enjoy him. They, they look at our lives and they think, man, I want what you've got. I want a bit of that cake. That they don't look at us as Christians and think, man, are you guys the most boring, unhappy people on planet Earth or what? They look at us and think, man, all that you go through, all your pain, all your trials, all your stuff, but you still love him. You still know him. You're still gracious. You're still kind. You're still one of the most juiciest, yummiest people I know, even though you go through all of that kind of stuff. So I'm not advocating from the front here that we live fake lives and we put on a show and we make sure everyone thinks that we're singing and dancing. I'm saying let's be so full of the Spirit that whatever we encounter, people can smell him, experience him, taste him. Let's get so good at opening our tin up and being fed by God, by the Holy Spirit. Let's get so good at opening the lid in our community and walking around. If I had brought Christmas cake here this morning and I wandered around, there would be something in you that would be like, can I have a bit of that? Can I have a bit of that? If you like Christmas cake. If you don't imagine it's a lemon drizzle and then you'll go, I'll have a bit of that, I'll have a bit of that. That's what we want. When we're wandering around, we want people to say, I'll take a bit of that, I'll take a bit of that. When we're in schools, workplaces, colleges, wherever we are, we want people looking at our lives and going, I'll have a bit of that, please. I'll have a slice of that, please. What are you soaked in? What have you been doing? What's going on with you? In the book of Acts, when they spilled out on the streets, people were like, are these guys drunk? That's the reputation we want. In the spirit, that's what you want your work colleagues thinking. What is up with you? Are you drunk at work? Are you drunk at school? Why does that make you laugh? Why are you so gracious? Why are you so kind? Why are you so complimentary? Why are you so encouraging? Why are you like that? That's what we want as a as a people. If you bought your Bible this morning or you've got it on your tablet or your phone or, you know, etched into your brain on the back of your glasses, wherever your Bible is, open it. If you've forgotten it, I, I've got it printed out here, so I'll read it for you. We're going to read Acts 2. I'm pretty much going to read it all. I tried to pick a chunk out of it and then I, it just, the chunk got bigger that I really wanted to read, so I'm just going to read it all. Acts 2, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's my favorite translation to just kind of connect with God. Uh, I I just love it. it. It flows really nicely. So New Living Translation says this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now this isn't pictorial language. This is literal language. So this is a retelling of an event. So it didn't kind of feel like the roof shakes or kind of sound like the roof would have shut. It would have felt like a thunderstorm was kicking off in the room they were standing in. Can you imagine that? Everyone would be at the prayer meeting if that was going on. Hey, And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared to settle on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At the time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. 
These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Oh, I hate these lists of names you can't even pronounce. What, just as a little tip, what I do is I read them with authority, and I read them fast. So don't come up to me at the end and go, oh, you've got the pronunciation wrong. I'm going to read it with authority and read it fast, okay? Parthens, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the presence of Asia. Oh... Yeah, but look at the next slot. I'm going to call that one Fig. Fig, Pamphylia, Egypt, and areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. I bet they wouldn't be saying it after this one. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Uh, No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says God... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as well you know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in his grip. King David said this about him. I see, the, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. I'm going to skip down. No, I'm not. Uh, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses to this. Now he is exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. And now the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us. Just as you see and hear today, for David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. 
Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and the other apostles, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is promised to you, your children and those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This community, if you don't know the start of the book of Acts well, can I encourage you to read it? If you don't know this community well, if you have not had them inspire you and challenge you and change you, can I suggest that you spend a couple of weeks hanging around the front end of the book of Acts and you let that community stir you, inspire you. You have a little look at Peter's life before he was filled with the Holy Spirit and you have a little look at what he was like afterwards and you remind yourself that these were ordinary men and women who had been captivated by an extraordinary God. They had been saved, they had been set free, they had been given the Spirit its power they were literally on fire they were running around talking about him most of these guys died for their faith because they were that prepared to lay their lives down for the truth of what they believed they had encountered him in such a way that their lives would never be the same again and neither would the community that they were a part of They were a bunch of seemingly cowards only a few chapters before. Now they are a bunch of men and women that are rampant in their community, that are transforming their community and changing it. The single difference is that Jesus Christ, who died on a cross and was buried in a tomb, rose from the grave and then unleashed heaven on them. That is the single difference. They never read a self-help book or a great book on evangelism or listened to an amazing preacher, if you don't count Jesus in that, because obviously they heard him a lot. They never did any of those things. They waited in a room until the Holy Spirit was literally poured out on them. Sometimes we lack power, we lack authority, We lack conviction. We lack transforming our community because we haven't stood still. We haven't waited. We haven't said to God, would you unleash heaven here before we go? So we're busy out there doing, 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 doing. And we forget to be, be, be. We forget that the book of Acts, they didn't go anywhere till they were utterly soaked in the Holy Spirit Till they had had heaven poured out on them, they did not go out. 
Because Peter, remember, was asked, do you know Jesus? He went, no, not me, no. You must have me mistaken with someone else. That's what he was like before the Holy Spirit came on him. Oh, no, 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 no. That was someone else. That wasn't me. I don't know him. I've not seen him. And if we're honest, haven't we all been a little bit like that? There's a moment where you get to share your faith, your story There's something you hear that everyone says, well, this is okay, and you are screaming inside. No, it's not, but you stay quiet. You don't tell your story. You don't read that bit from the Bible. So, like, we can all, I can identify with that over and over again where I think, oh, my gosh, so many times where I've kept my mouth shut when I should have opened it. What's the difference? Peter was soaked in the Holy Spirit. Peter had had the fire of heaven tipped out on him. Peter had a new boldness, a new courage to act in a way that was different to how he had been acting. So the Holy Spirit doesn't make us into different people. It doesn't alter our personality. He gives us courage to be the people we were always supposed to be. He gives us fire and kind of boots us out. He's like, excellent, you've got me, now off you go. And that fire spilled out into the known world and transformed the known world and is still having an effect now. If you read great stories on revivals, what you know is there are moments when the Holy Spirit comes in such a way that it is like heaven literally gets dumped out. If you want to read a great story about revival, try the story about the Brownsville Revival. Feast of Fire. And on the day when the Holy Spirit got poured out on them, oh, I read it and think that to me sounds like the book of Acts. Like they had people clambering to get in. They had people going, well, what's going on here? They saw a community transformed. Uh, Bethel in Reading are seeing a community transformed because literally heaven has just gone and has dumped out on them. And they have been soaked. And they are plumped up bigger, more courageous, more able to share. They're still going into their, their, their everyday places, their workplaces, their schools, their, their, their neighbours. They're still going to all the same places, but they're different. They're totally soaked in the Holy Spirit. If you have not had a one-off drenching in the Holy Spirit, not only can I thoroughly recommend it, but I think the Bible encourages you to have that, encourages you to be one who is soaked, sealed, and so deliciously yummy because you have been poured out from heaven. I can tell you mine, you might look at me and think, I am by nature, uh, probably I am an extrovert, I enjoy throwing my arms around, I enjoy dancing, I'm not the greatest dancer, but I love to dance, I don't honestly care who's watching, I was like that before I got saved. It is just part of what I'm like. When I first encountered the Holy Spirit, I I just was petrified because I'd watched people encountering the Holy Spirit and I'd watched them fall over. Now, I love waving my arms around and dancing and and I, I love being expressive. I like being in control of it. I'm not a big fan of ice skating or trampolines or anywhere where you kind of feel like I don't actually know what my arms and legs are doing. Um, So when I encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time, I literally went forward and I was petrified. I, I, I just stood there and what I was saying as the woman was praying for me was, 
Please don't push me over. Please don't hurt me. Please don't make me look ridiculous. So as she's praying, come Holy Spirit, I'm saying, go Holy Spirit. Don't come near me. So I was standing there. I probably looked like I really wanted it. And I don't know if you've ever prayed for people like that before, where you're praying your best prayers, and they are literally just rooted to the spot. Nothing's going on. Sometimes I will ask people, what's going on in your head? So this woman said to me, are you afraid? Oh, I tell you what, I literally, I was like, yeah. And and I just shared what was going on. She said, oh, you just don't know him well enough yet. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, He'll take you on a journey. Sure, you'll have times when you'll be laid out or you're made to look ridiculous, but he's going to introduce himself to you now. He's going to meet you where you're at. Now, he's not a gentleman. I hate it when people say that about the Holy Spirit. He's not an English gentleman. He's not proper and proud. For goodness sake, they had fire and the roof came off a room. He's not like that, but he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our fears. He he knows everything about us. She said, that's who you are going to meet with. I just felt like this, like, oh, okay then. So she prayed for me again, and I literally felt like someone had taken a bucket and poured it in me, and I I stood completely still, and, and it went through me, and I literally could feel God in my whole body. And I can't explain it any better than that. I literally felt like what I'd had preached to me, what I'd experienced, was in my whole body. Like, in, like right to the tips of my fingers, up to my head, down to my feet. I just knew everything I believed about the gospel, which wasn't a lot because I'd not read the Bible before, but what I believed in my first few months of being saved suddenly was so solid, so secure. You literally... Uh, we had Jehovah's Witnesses on the door last week, and, and they began their, you know, the launch into the spiel. And I said, I, I let them go for a little bit, and I said, you'd not be able to convince me, not on even your best day, that what I believe is not accurate. Because the Holy Spirit, when I was saved... These poor guys, they're standing there. I was like, bless them, they just wanted to go. You know, when you want to go, because they just wanted to go. I said, when I got saved, it was like someone brought me to life. And when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, that experience then sealed in my heart and it isn't going anywhere. You would never be able to convince me that what I believe is wrong because God put his stamp on it. God has sealed me. He owns me. Bless them. They were like, okay, we're going. Like, they probably walked away going, she is crazy. I made a little note in their books not to go back to the crazy house. But I, I, what I believe about Jesus, I believe because I've read it in the Bible and then God came in and said, yes, that's true. That's what being baptized in the Holy Spirit does for us. What you have believed to be saved, yes, that's true. What it says about us as a people is the Holy Spirit comes in. He says, yes, who I say you are, yes, that's true. Now off you go. When I tell you I'm going to break out in the miraculous and see your world transform, yes, that's true. Now off you go. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Why as a Christian you would not want that, I do not know. And you might be a little bit thinking, well, I'm a little bit fearful of the shaking, the falling over. The Understand this, God knows you. 
He will meet you where you are at and he will take you on. I have since had some of the most ridiculous encounters with God where I have been shaking like a good and on the floor, uh, making strange noise. I, I think I've done nearly all of them now, uh, which is fine. God took me, as he said he would, on a journey of getting to know him, of relating with him. So if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, had that one-off soaking where your knowledge of God has become so sealed in your heart that you're like, you would never be able to convince me this is not true, then I strongly recommend that. I strongly recommend you be a Christian who is soaked in the Holy Spirit. And then you need to be regularly fed. The book of Acts tells us about this community that is regularly being fed. So they are listening to the word of God. They are meeting together. It's why we say get in a life group. It's not because we want to make John and George feel good because on paper they've got everyone in a life group. It's because actually meeting together is good for us. It's not, it's not really necessarily about the food you eat or the house you meet in, or you can have the most humble of circumstances, but when the people of God meet together, God is there. Got to be honest, who cares if you're having bread and butter and soup, baked potatoes, or a flipping five-course meal? If God is there, that is what we want. So when we gather together and God is there, we get fed, we get encouraged, we get stirred. It's why we say do all you can to be in a life group, so that you can be fed, so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be stirred so that you can pray for one another. This community got it. They're like, we're never going to be able to change the world by running off on our own and doing our own thing and making ourselves really busy with work, so busy that we cannot look after one another. We're never going to do it like that. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it by joining hands with other believers and saying, let's go. Let's stir one another and then let's go out. They were brilliant at it in the book of Acts. They prayed for one another. They took bread and wine together. They remembered all that Jesus had done for them. We regularly want to be doing these things so that we are a people who are soaked in the Spirit and fed by the Spirit of God. We have to get better at this. We have to see it as important. Our prayer meeting needs to burst out of Stuart and Melanie's house. It's almost there. It's not there. It should be the most attended meeting that we put on as a local church uh, for two reasons. One, if we want to see our world transformed, we have to understand that the only person who has the power to do that is God. So we should talk to him regularly about it. Secondly, we should be experiencing the power of God together as a people so that we come in, we experience God together, we connect with God's heart, and then we go out again. It's very book of Acts, it's very early church, and it is why they survived. Because they came together, got fed, got stirred up, got their heads straight about what mattered, and then they went out again. And they went back into their workplaces, back into their schools, back into their neighbours, back into their homes and their families with their heads straight. Soaked in the Holy Spirit and their heads going, this is all about Jesus. I get to do the job I do, spend my days doing what I do because of him. The reason we have not been all airlifted up to heaven is because God is not done. It's not so that you can amass 
more wealth, more status, more whatever. It's because God is not finished. Those things don't matter to God in the same way they matter to us. What matters to him is that salvation comes to households that he has chosen, he has called. It matters to him, which is why we still draw breath, which is why he has not closed it all up and said, we are done here. There is enough worshippers for my son. He's not done, therefore we are not done. So the reason we come together and then go out again is so that we come together, get filled again, and go out with the right priorities, the right agenda, the right heart. So I do it with my boys all the time. I pull them in and I say to them, because the world will say to them, you are worth something if you achieve. I pull them in all the time. And I say to them, you are worth something to us. We'll stop the end. Whether you do well, don't do well, you are worth something. What God has placed in you is good. And then we throw them out into school, into nursery school, wherever, where they'll hear so many things. But we are saying, this is who you are. Our prayer meetings, our life group meetings, that's what they do. They pull us in and go, this is what matters this is who you are, and then you walk out the door braver, bolder, more courageous. It's a community that truly can affect the world if we allow it to, if we rock up, if we are those who say, yep, I'll be filled, I'll be soaked. I want to make a few suggestions, and then we're going to worship and go for it, really. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, can I encourage you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Second to helping people become Christians is my favorite thing to do. So if you have battled with this, I will battle with you. If you are sitting there thinking, you have no idea how many times I have been prayed for for this thing and not had it. I am so disappointed, so disillusioned. Come and speak to me. This is one of my favorite things to do. I would happily chat with you, help you through on it. And I have spent years praying and ministering with people and helping them break through in this area. So I I would happily do that. If you know that is you, I'm going to ask you to be bold this morning and step forward. Because actually what it does is it opens a door to Christian experience that you know nothing about yet. It makes your whole relationship with Jesus come alive. It makes reading the Bible better. You do it with the Holy Spirit of God who inspired the word. It's amazing how the word affects you. Reading the Bible without the Holy Spirit, it will read dry. Not because it's not inspired, but because you need the Holy Spirit in the mix. You need him saying, oh, when he said this, he meant this for you. You need him there. So I don't ever sit down with my Bible without him. I just say, it's, yeah, it's a waste of time, really. So I want to encourage you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have not had the lid off your life and allowed God to feed you lately, you should. So I'm going to encourage you to get the lid off, get your cake out and say, come on, God, soak me, fill me up. I recognize in a room like this, some of you will be extroverts, some of you will be introverts. How you display that, how you encounter God will look really different. You get no judgment here from whether you shake or whether you quietly sit. It's not about that, it's about leaving having encountered him. 
And I know there's been times for me when it is quiet and still, but I've encountered him in ways that are just so beautiful. And I know there's been times when I felt like literally electric current is running through me and I have shaked all over the place. When God comes, we just want to be those that meet with him. When we say, who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if I'm being completely honest, I don't understand why every Christian in the room isn't hands up out their seat. Whenever there's an opportunity to be prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, we should be those that just go, okay, God, if you've got something for me, I'll have it. If you are not in a group yet, let me encourage you to be part of the life group so that you can be pulled in, fed, and then shoved out the door at 10 o'clock. Pulled in and fed. 10 o'clock. Look at all the group leaders going, 10 o'clock, quarter past, half past, quarter to 11. 10 o'clock. Shoved back out into your world. Young people, get yourself along to your teaching, to... Friday nights, to anything where you can be pulled in, encouraged, and then thrown back out into your schools. Because your schools are hard. You might be the only Christian in your class. You might be the only one who has met Jesus and knows Jesus. That is a really hard ground to crack. You might have to stand up for things that everybody else thinks is ridiculous and out of date. You need to be pulled in and have a real encounter with God and then thrown out again. So that on Monday you can function in school. Not just learning, but actually being filled with the Spirit and being gracious and kind and telling the truth and honouring your teachers, doing stuff that other people will think, what's the point of that? Because you've encountered God, you know what the point is. So you need to be those who are pulled in and thrown out. We all do. We need to be those. And then lastly, come to our prayer meeting. For the life of me, I don't understand why it's not the busiest meeting in the whole church calendar. I don't have my kids there, so I get like two hours to meet God with no one hanging off me. It's awesome. With no one like racing a car across me or dragging my trousers or saying, just as the Holy Spirit starts to break out, I need a wee. two hours to just meet with the people of God, have a nice cup of tea, a handful of chocolate raisins, get into the presence of God and just enjoy him. Oh, like literally, Stuart and I always said from the beginning, we would do this if it was just the two of us because it's too good an opportunity to miss connecting with God's heart, being with the people of God and experiencing his spirit. So what do we think, Real Life Church? Are we up for this? I want us to be the kind of community that transforms the places where we put our feet. I want people to talk about us and say, that group of people so love God and are so inspiring and so love their community. Paul and I met with a guy during the week who... Uh, said one of the things he'd heard about us as a church is that we loved Jesus 
but really loved our community. I'd only just met him and I wanted to kiss him. I was like, oh my gosh, that is like music to my ears, that we love Jesus and we love our community. And the community around us is transformed because we dare to say this is our place, because we dare to say this is where the kingdom of God will and can break out. Often revivals are in places that people have not heard of or I like to think Sutton Coalfield I never heard of it before we moved here I like to think well why not here God why not here where you choose to just open heaven and tip it out why not here why not us why not this place why not this time we're about you an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this nation why not here why not us why not our workplaces our schools let's stand let's worship him And then let's meet him.